Mark My Words shares Mark Homer's contrarian views on investing, business, finance, economics, and all things money. Mark interviews the world's most successful business, finance, and money experts, as well as imparting his knowledge in a factual, direct, and no-nonsense manner. Welcome to Mark My Words. Hello, and welcome to Mark My Words. I've got Daniel Gurr here, who is an expert in fine wine investment. Um, I've never really discussed wine investment on the podcast before. Been interested in it. Um, nearly got into it a few times. Was maybe put off by storage and some other stuff, uh, and and you know the, the normal barrier, which is knowing enough knowledge, which is. Uh, God, if, if you don't know enough about something, you, you really can't invest in it. But um, you, you, you tend to make uh, disproportionate returns when you have a really, really deep knowledge in something. Um, so Daniel's here to help us with that. Uh, so da- Daniel, welcome. Um, good to have you along. So l- you let's much. get let's get straight into this. What, what's what's happening in the wine market or investment wine market at the moment? Um, and and is it a good time to get involved? Yeah, I mean, first of all, thank you very much for having me on. It's uh, very exciting. Um, there's definitely, the, well, the lure towards fine wine right now is, is definitely, I know you had a conversation with, with Daniel Gannon um, on your podcast about classic cars, and you guys were talking about financial markets and how the traditional remit of investments have changed over the past decade. Um, that's due to financial market volatility and, of course, the environment of record low interest rates that we find ourselves in. So, Traditional investors are starting to look outside the mainstream box and adopt strategies within alternative asset classes. So fine wine has characteristics which enable the market to have very low correlation to other financial markets. So with, of course, the trajectory of the market over the past 10 years, we've got consistency. But of course, with the market being demanded by the higher echelon, which is increasing year on year out, is definitely a good time to invest into the asset class itself. So what's happening in terms of uh, price change, say, in the last one year, three years? I, I, I mean, you know, I suppose it depends what you're buying. But if I was to think of the, I don't know, Ferrari 250 GTO with great provenance equivalent in the wine market, that might be, I don't know, Left Bank, Bordeaux, um, Petrus or something like that. What's happening to that stuff? Over the last year, three, five years. Yeah, so these are your blue chip wines. So like you said, you know, your Lafitte, your Moutons, your Hope Brions, and over on the right bank, your Cheval Blancs, uh, your Pavies, and your Orsones. You know, these are your blue chip wines that, you know, over 20, 30, 40 years have got past performance. But what these wines have is they have a store of value. So if we look at, for instance, Chateau Hope Brion over the past 200, 300 years, that particular wine has always held a dollar value within the market. Whereas, let's say, for instance, you know, you invested into a company and seven days later, that company were to go into liquidation, you don't have that dollar value there. You don't have the intrinsic value that, of course, fine wine holds. Now, with regards to values, and it's a common question, you know, uh, investors will ask, you know, okay, the market's done X, Y, Z over the past 10 years. What is going to keep on pushing these prices up? Because... For someone that's not involved into the wine market and is more so a novice, they're coming into a market where they're used to paying between 20, 30 pounds at very most for a bottle of wine, and we're trading wines that are, you know, 200, 300 pounds per bottle. 
So you might come into the market and feel, okay, well, how is the price going to gonna keep on going up in value? Well, the fine wine market has two very unique characteristics. So A, it has an ever-increasing demand because, of course, it's a, it's a consumable asset, but it's also an asset that increases its quality over a period of time. So straight away, what we've got here is a market that's got finite supply, ever-increasing demand because the wine's maturing, but it's also got an ever-decreasing supply. So if we go back to, like you were saying before, you know, your Petrusas, your Romani Conti, you know, they're producing 500 to 1,000 cases a year. But the circulation of the asset over a period of time is going to start to diminish. The demand's going to increase because people are starting to drink that particular. Its maturity so, levels are so increasing. So as it gets older, let's say, I don't know, what were great years for Bordeaux, maybe 96, uh, 2000. Yeah, 2005. Uh, 2005, 2006. Yeah, 2010 was a good vintage yeah, as well. Yeah. And what's really interesting is we've had 2016, which was a magnif- magnificent yeah. vintage as well as the 18. Okay, so as as we go on, you know, what, what di, 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 some becomes drinkable that yeah. is good. So 2010, that's sort of ready for drinking now. Yeah, it does. 2016 won't be. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It does depend on the estate. For instance, you yeah. look at you know Chateau and Angelus. Yeah. That is a particular that needs a good 16, 17 years underneath yeah. it before people are going to start to desire okay. these wines. Okay, fine. So it basically, it becomes drinkable after a number of years. There's only so many. Say they've made 500,000 cases. Um, how many bottles in a case? Is it six? 12. 12, 12 sorry. Yeah. So, so you get 12 bottles in a case. So yeah. it's basically... 12 times 500 yeah um so that uh, you know that's not not that many bottles about i don't know six thousand that, that sort of thing yeah, yeah. De- definitely so obviously with of course uh petrus and yeah. uh, romani conti their production levels are much lower yeah uh whereas what sort of levels we're talking between five five hundred to a thousand cases a year okay yeah okay yeah. Whereas you look at uh, Chateau Lafitte, uh, Chateau Mouton Rothschild, yeah. you know these particulars, they're producing between ten to fifteen thousand cases a year. Okay, right. So if you look more. at it from yeah. a bottle point of view, one hundred and fifty thousand yeah. bottles a yeah. year. But I suppose they're sending a, a reasonable amount to China for them to mix in with their cokes. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> if, we, if we can reduce a bit of the supply that way, then, yeah, um, we, we try not to mention that. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. So I mean. You know, if 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 I was to look back a year on a bottle of Petrus, has it gone up or down? Up in value. Okay. What percentage? It, it depends on where you've gone at. Two thousand and ten. Yeah. So you, you're probably looking at north of ten percent. Okay. okay. Conservatively. Three depending. years. Well, the best. The best thing about fine wine yeah. is that it works off a compound interest formula. Yeah. So it's interest upon interest upon interest. So in your first year, from that asset, yeah. you might see 8 to 10%. Yeah. Okay. But come that second year, like we've just covered, the circulation is decreasing. And where would you buy that from? Is that on Premier or where? On Premier is, again, we're in a sort of different market again yeah. because yeah. the risk levels are going up yeah. because, of course... We've seen, for instance, you look at uh, Chateau Lafitte Rothschild 1982. Yeah. Yeah. I believe it was released at between 600 euro to 1,000 euro yeah. at on premier. Yeah. Now, that particular can be anywhere from 30,000 to 50,000 pounds a case today. Yes. So that story is what right. everyone wants yeah, to yeah. get into. I mean, it's, you know. But like, surely now the, the, the sort of the vineyards are taking a good chunk of the profit. Yeah. So because they can see that there's an immediate uplift. So they just grab most or all of that See that in the initial stages. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that is, of course, the, the point of on-premise. Yeah. You know, are you buying at a good price? Yeah. Are you buying slightly above? Because, of course, exactly. Uh, whereas if you let that asset sort of come into the market three or four years. Wait, wait three or four years. Wait to see and then happens. And then jump on it. Yeah. It's a bit like a new house, really. Uh, again, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're much exactly. better waiting until it's yeah. not a new house anymore. Yeah. And it's not to sort of eradicate that market, but for instance, yeah, if you've got an investor that's we've got... got to be on we're, we're, on about, we're all about honesty on this podcast. <laughs> Best and, policy, and, 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 yes, uh, yes, definitely. And, and getting to the nub of the issue, yes. Daniel. So, uh, yeah, bullshit baffles brains, <laughs> but not on mark, mark my words. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. Um, so so it's, still, it's still been sort of going up. Um, I, uh, no CGT. Yeah. So when, when you sell them, there's no capital gains tax. Is that right? Yeah. So as you can appreciate, uh, for security reasons, I have to say I'm Knox advisor. Okay. But yeah. with, of course, you know, past history with clients, all yeah. of clients wine is stored and insured. Yeah. And as long as it's stored in a HMRC regulated facility, yeah. the wine will stay in that bonded warehouse for yeah. remaining of its life. So therefore yeah. duty. Yeah. And a capital gains tax is not applicable. Yeah. And I, I think as long as you're not trading it or you didn't intend to make profit out of it, I, I, my understanding is that solidifies the uh, no CGT yeah. uh, position. So, okay. So the world was all about, I don't know, Bordeaux and old world, you know, so the original, I don't know, French or, you know, some, some maybe some of the other sort of European stuff, but now there's a lot of New World wine, Australian, South African, and Californian, which I know you're a big fan of. Mm. Um, is any of that stuff investable? Yeah, again, with regards to that, you are looking at that higher risk level, and that's just simply because, of course, you know, for instance, California, uh, you hear me talk about that quite regularly, because I think that's, that's an emerging market, but yeah. it just doesn't have the history that Bordeaux yeah. has. Okay. But again, you look at, I mean, for instance, Screaming Eagle, uh, it's one of the most iconic investment grade wines. It's an old Napa or That's a Napa Napa value. Um, And that that wine straight away is that particular, they've been in production for 30, 35 years. And that stands with Petrus alongside Romani Conti. Yeah. They're the three together. Oh, okay. So what's the bottle of that? If you you were, I don't know, you were going to buy 2019. Screaming Eagle, I don't know, the, the Premier Crew, Grand Crew, whatever. Well, to give you a bit of an idea, um, with Screaming Eagle, there's a 20 to 30 year waiting list. Okay, so that helps. Yeah, yeah. so that's what an investor wants to know. For yeah. me personally, knowing that that is the case, because it's always knowing that you've got the demand there for your yeah. investment, you know, that gives you the peace of mind. But yeah, with Screaming Eagle, you, you're looking at, they only do three bottle cases. Yeah. Okay, so they do three bottle cases and yeah. they also do magnums as well. Yeah. And the magnum production is very, very low. But you know, three bottle cases, they're producing between five to 600 cases a year. Okay, so, so again, very small, isn't mm, it? Yeah. And that's between sort of £6,000 for a three bottle case to in excess of you know, 10, 11, 12, depending on. That's the price in the market at the moment. That's the price in the yeah. market. And that particular wine, the Screaming Eagle 1995, yeah. three years ago, yeah. actually was sold at auction in yeah. California for yeah. half a million US dollars Three bottles. for a Magnum. Okay, for a Magnum. Now, yeah. it was a charity event. Is a Magnum how many? Two and a half. Two and a half uh, bottles. Originals, yes. Yeah, so what's that? Uh, so 150 so litres, is it? Or? Yeah, so 150 centilitres, so for 1.5 litres. Yes. Yeah, 150 centilitres. Yeah, because a standard bottle is 75. 75, yeah. yeah. 
Okay, fine. So there is sort of some of this new world stuff, which is investable. Um, South African or, you know, Australian, any of that stuff? Or or are you limited to, I don't know, West Coast of, of the US? Again, if you've got... It's like investing into anything. It's like, for instance, if you had two investors that wanted to come up to you and invest into property, yeah. one was a complete novice and never yeah. invested into a property before, you're probably not going to introduce them to a HMO or no. a commercial conversion. No. Whereas if you've got someone that has been in property, yeah. they've got a background in property, yeah. you would introduce them to something yeah. different. And that's yeah. the same for us. Yeah. So just pile them into the Californian or, or the, the, yeah. the Bordeaux or whatever. And it's, <laughs> again, it, maybe the returns might not be quite so good, but they're not going to drop any clangers and, and they'll probably make a reasonable amount and then they can sort of divert. If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. Let's try and get into the maybe slightly riskier stuff yeah. and make higher returns once their knowledge grows. Yeah, ex- yeah. exactly. And it, it sort of contradicts itself to an extent because you know you've got an investor that's been in the market or you know originally was a consumer of fine wine because that's how the market started. You know, 20, yeah. 20 25 years ago, this was a market for. Uh, the elite investor within fine wine because people would purchase a couple of cases, drink one, and then the other one would go up in value and therefore the first case was covered because, of course, that that particular has gone up in value. But that has changed again, like we said at the start. But coming back to that, yes, you know, California is definitely with them. They're also producing very, very finite supplies. You know, Opus One, Dominus. And again, I must add those two particular wines that I've just brought up. Uh, For instance... Um, Opus One is owned by Rothschild, which obviously Baron Philippe Rothschild owns Mouton Rothschild. Yeah. So French background and French yeah. roots, and uh, you would never. They, they went to California. Went to California. Yeah. So that has to tell us that there's definitely an emerging market there. Yeah. Well, they want to get in, in on the action, don't they? Cover everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We'd probably do the same thing. Yeah. It's a bit like BP, you know, setting up electric charging stations and telling everybody that they're. You know, creating these wind farms and alternative energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, probably exactly. worried about the oil. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know, maybe demand dropping and the need to diversify. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's what he did originally, wasn't it, Rockefeller? Yeah, well, yeah. So <laughs> um, uh, clearly red wine is at the core of investment. Mm. What about white wine investment or rosé investment? Again, I would see that is more so into a specialist market. For me and my personal collection and what we advise clients is you know, we look at the red wine yeah. um, because, of course, 
with regards to that, it all comes back to history and with ourselves, you know, if we're putting our name to what we're suggesting, yeah. as you can appreciate, we have to know the full corporate background of yeah. that particular wine. And it's not to say white wines don't go up in value, yeah. but of course they don't have the history and they don't have the corporate background to what a red wine has, yeah. in, in my opinion. Yeah. So Sweet. therefore, riskier... Riskier, le- 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 what less sort of historical data to work off? Yeah, yeah. again, you're you're completely right there. Um, look, you know, again, you've got Bordeaux that has produced white wines for for a very long time. Yeah, but again, the, the main investment market has definitely been your, your Bordeaux clarets. Um, therefore, if you've got an investor that's relatively new to the market, you, I think it would be, from my opinion and, and my experience, I would say that it would be quite risky step to take yeah. when you've got, you know, the household names yeah. that are showing consistent returns yeah. and, and not, okay, this isn't a get-rich-quick scheme, it's not something yeah. you invest into and then you instantly make money from, but yeah. the consistency's there, definitely. Does any rosé go up? From my understanding, not that I've... I'm aware of, yeah. um, but it's not to say that no, it doesn't. So, yeah, not, not that I'm aware of. That, that's actually all I drink. Um, I've noticed and, that. <laughs> uh, I, I don't, I, I'm not keen on the other stuff, if I'm honest. Um, some white, you know, maybe, I don't know, Chablis or something like that. But yeah. I, I, I find it hard work. Mm. Um, but, um, yeah, I do. I do, I do like rosé. Mm. What's your favourite? Yeah. I, I, like <laughs> <laughs> um, I can just picture you yeah, when you're away yeah. in the south of France, oh, you know, it. with your rosé there, you know, shirt um, off. <laughs> probably Domaine Ott. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I, it's got to be cold though, doesn't it? It's got to be really mm. cold. And yeah. if it's really cold and it's Domaine Ott or maybe Minuity, we went round... Minuity, when we went to, um, Gemma and I have been to Saint-Tropez um, yeah. quite a few times, a little hotel we go to there, and there's a little place called Gassan Next Door, okay. which is where Minuity uh, is grown. Um, I don't know, I, I, I like uh, Miraval, yeah. um, but if I'm really honest, if mm. I'm just in one of those sort of, I don't know, restaurants in, in Provence, and I just order a glass of Provence, Provence rosé. Yeah. Most of it is pretty similar to me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> with with yeah. regards to if you move over to sort of, you know, your red wine, your clarets, yeah. would you, obviously you're someone that's consumed something, uh, let's say, you know, 15 pounds through yeah. to 30 pounds per bottle. Yeah. Have you, and then let's say, for instance, you had, you know, just your sort of standard 15, 20 pound bottle of yeah. red whatever you know region it's from and then you've yeah. got something that's north of 100 pounds mm. are you been have you been in the past been able to sort of taste the differences between those two um yes i, I probably can but it, it yes yeah but it doesn't necessarily mean that um you know i want to re- drink red wine yeah yeah i've tried and tried but uh i do every now and again but it, it's it's you know it's probably just more for the the, the investment angle yeah which um which i'd be interested I would like to blind take watch some more blind taste testing, yeah. uh, genuine blind yeah, taste yeah. testing of, of some of the experts because uh, I I do I find mm. just getting underneath this stuff and, and and finding what they actually really do know once uh, once all the labels go away uh, would be particularly interesting. But I don't know, maybe that takes some of the fun out of it. Okay, so a big part of this, um, and for for me with investment. Um, you know, I I think about storage. Um, yes, you leave them in a bonded warehouse, you don't pay duty. But if you want to take them home and you want to store them somewhere else, 
clearly they need to be kept at the right temperature. And if they don't, they waste and they're no good anymore. Yeah. Um, so where do you, where and how do you store them? Okay, so for instance, there's a few storage facilities in the UK. Uh, all of my clients' wine is stored and insured in EHD. Yeah. So they're a HMRC uh, regulated facility. Yeah. So this particular facility is actually in Weybridge. So yeah. You know Brooklyn's racetrack. Yeah. So yeah. about a mile from the racetrack is the facility where all of our clients' wine is stored. And they're storing between, as you can appreciate, it changes, but 65 to 75 million yeah. pounds yeah. at one given time. So... This, it's actually mm. an old air raid shelter from the war, so it's yeah. underground. It's near the David Lloyd Center there. Not a kit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. so they're, they're holding at 13 degrees. Yeah. They're away from sunlight, they're away from yeah. vibration. So, you know, straight away you would think underground, okay, what is the vibration going to be like from, you know, nearby trains and things like that? And does, that's, that, does that matter? Yeah, it does. Does it? It does, because mm. it's adding vibration to, to the actual uh, temperature of the wine. My personal opinion is, yes, there is this big question mark of you know it has to be stored at this this comes back yeah. to if you were going to store wine yourself yeah. it has to be stored at the right temperature and this is the temperature it has to be from yeah. my opinion and from what i've been told from you know, people that have been in the market yeah. and you know are very well educated within this market as long as you keep red wine at consistent temperature yeah i'm not saying you know 25 26 degrees yeah. but I mean, I hold mine at 18 degrees, but that's because, of course, that's is, control. I've got three sections in my wine chiller, and I think, yeah, about 18. Yeah, yeah. 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 So It's actually room temperature, really, isn't it, for red, pretty much. Yeah, and as long as you've got the consistency yeah. there, so it's not changing, and that's, yeah. again, coming back to the vibration, mm. because if, if you've got the uncertainty yeah. really affecting that wine, well, yeah. there, there will be an effect there. So this comes back to the storage facility as well. You're insured to replacement value. So okay. God forbid something were yeah. to, to happen. Because I know you and I have had this conversation before and you're sort of like, I'd be very keen to hold it myself and mm. I you know, want to be in control of it, which you know, a lot of my clients will, will often say that. But you take the wine out of bond because, of yeah. course, you're buying from us, you're going to buy in bond. Yeah. You're going to pay sales tax. You have to pay, what, VAT in you, duty? You pay duty on that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so... That again is, is, is almost it VAT free when it's held. Is the VAT on wine? I don't know. No, it's not no. because obviously it being it's held in bond, it's just the duty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so straight away you're going to be uh, forced to pay that, but straight away you're you're taking the providence away from that wine. And what okay. I mean by that is, oh, I see. Yeah, you can sort of say, well, it's been held here, and here's the evidence. Therefore, it's being held at the right temperature, and we know it's right. Yeah. So, yeah. for instance, as a company, we will only purchase from nine times out of ten purchase wines that have been held in a HMRC regulated facility. Yeah, well, that's interesting because um, I've always thought about this because, uh, you know, you could you could get this stuff and accidentally store it at completely the wrong temperature. Then who's ever going to bloody know because they don't drink it. And actually, mm. I, I know a, a friend of a friend sold a load of, you know, proper Mm. The sort of stuff you're talking about, yeah. I don't know, 10, 15 grand a bottle. Mm. Um, and it had got very warm um, and it went in the auction and it sold to a load of Chinese for 10 grand plus a bottle. Yeah. Uh, and they bought it all and they went back to China. Yeah. Uh, they probably never drink it. And it's a big merry-go-round, isn't it? It goes <laughs> on with the, the Coke. Yeah, you know, they're, they're yeah, not going to taste the difference. Well, maybe they're, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'd always wondered what, what sort of protects against that but, but 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 there i think you've just touched on it haven't you 
Yeah, I mean, Mark, it's, it's like purchasing a property. Yeah. You, know, you, you would tell me that, right, there's, there's certain steps you've got to take before you purchase yeah. that property to yeah. ensure, you know, subsidence. And well, you'd get like. a surveyor out and the surveyor would have a look at that sort of stuff. But I suppose with a bottle of wine, okay, they could maybe check the label and, and see if it's a copy by looking at the bottle, but they can't test the stuff inside, can they? No, you're, you're completely right. Hence why I would go to a professional, yeah. most definitely. Um, because, of course, you buy from a company, you know, there's loads of uh, brokerages and yeah. merchants in, in London and the UK. Yeah. You always... The questions you want to be asking yourself is, okay, where is my wine going to be stored? Yeah. Is the wine going to be stored underneath my own name? Which yeah. we can touch on in a moment, but that, that's very important. But If someone goes into liquidation or whatever, whose wine is if it? If it's in yeah. a holding name, yeah. which has happened in the past. Yeah. So, And you also want to be purchasing guaranteed provenance. So I, I would be asking for the photos. I'd be asking yeah. for... You know, okay, so how long has it been stored there for? Yeah. Yes, you are going quite intricate because if you're purchasing from a business that is a credible company, yeah. well, you would expect that that was going to be there. But yeah, they are always to, to purchase stock that yeah. has got guaranteed Is the stuff even there? You know, or, or has it, you know, are they sort of pretending? Um, if you use, I suppose, if you use a, a well recognized bonded facility mm. that's got a lot of history, then you can be a lot more sure that they've actually got the stuff and they haven't just drunk it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm exactly. sure it's gone off, you know? Well, but... Yeah, definitely. You know, you've hit the nail on the head. And another question you want to be asking yourself is is the, the holding facility. So there are different subsidiaries. So you've got Octavians, uh, you've got LCB, and of course you've got EHD, just to name a few. So they're, they're good ones, are they? Yeah, but I'd be phoning them yeah. and, and asking them, okay, so how is this business? You know, um, how long have you been working with that particular company? Would you say they're creditable? It, it, and, and get their opinion. You know, these are the questions that you want to be asking. But um, yeah, and, and another covering what you just went over is ask the question, you know, do you own the wine that you're trading to me? Is this currently in your account? Or, or are they taking your funds and then going out to source the stock? Mm. My point of view, that's risky business. Sort of brokerage rather than trading on their own, being the principal. Yeah, but a lot of these businesses, they're marketing almost as if they're estate agents and the estate agent's not going to sell a property that he know he does, knows that he doesn't have under contract. So no. you want to know that how long is it going to They've take... They've got control of it. Yeah, so yeah. I send you, for instance, the £50,000 today, mm. okay, and we fill out the paperwork, AML checks, etc. How yeah. long will it take until yeah. my wine is actually transferred into my account? Yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. So wine is... A physical asset that you can invest in. Obviously, we've spoken about cars, watches. Why is wine better or not better than other physical assets? Okay, so For investment. Okay, so the direct answer to that is fine wine has characteristics that other collectibles and other alternative investments don't have. And that would be fine wine matures as yeah. time goes on. So it has an ever increasing demand, but because it's a consumable asset, so there will be a time where the availability yeah. of that wine is going to run out. So the, the, the quality of the wine improves over time as it gets older, yep. unlike a watch or a car. Yeah. And as people drink it, there's less of it. So therefore the supply side and the demand side should become more favourable over time, pushing the price up. 
And that's why we've had consistency of return. Yeah. You know, you look at the trajectory of fine wine over the past 10 years, for instance, yeah. it's not up and down. You know, it's a pretty much like a J-curve that you're looking for. What, what happened it, in sort of 08, 09? It, 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 does, it, does it strengthen during the tough times like that or does it weaken? So the, the index, uh, which again brings more transparency. So and what's the index called? So the LiveX 100. LiveX 100, yeah. Sorry, yeah. go on. So yeah. the evolution of, of the internet, again, this yeah. is why I would foresee fine wine being the better alternative yeah. asset class out there yeah. right now is the evolution of the internet has created greater transparency, yeah. greater liquidity, yeah. and of course, greater accessibility. Yeah. So the LiveX 100, effectively back in 2008, it was at 0.1%. Yeah. Okay, so we didn't make our 8 to 10% that we like to see, yeah. but again, we didn't lose the 40, 50% yeah. that the Dow Jones and you know, the FTSE were yeah. losing. Okay, so what you're saying is in the tougher times, it does tend to fall um, or, or you know, not, not perform as well um, because actually gold has an inverse relationship. And I mean, you, you probably notice over the last, I don't know, over the last year, um, gold, and especially six months, gold has probably gone up, I don't know, 20, 30% because people are more nervous. They're putting more money into bonds. They're worried about, you know, when the next recession is. Donald Trump, China, all that sort of stuff. There's, when there's a flight from risk, it often goes towards, towards gold and maybe physical assets. Cars, classic cars over the last three years, certainly in the UK, have come off. They, they've gone down. Mm. Um, maybe not the really the, 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 the best stuff, but um, m- you know maybe the, the more sort of mid market stuff and, and stuff that sort of went up later in the cycle has come off, gone down. Um, I think watches are probably still strengthening. It's it's it doesn't all go up and down together. How long yeah. do you think that lasts for with watches? Because that's quite interesting. I'm I, sort of thinking, I, you know, do I, I get in now? Do I, you know? I think, I, you know, I've, I've learned with all of this stuff that it is not predictable. Yeah. Um, it's a bit like capital appreciation on property. People say to me, oh, what's it going to be next year? You know, we're at this point in the cycle. And at this point in the cycle, last time, which was, I don't know, 15 years ago, it went up 30% before the, you know, the, the next recession yeah so therefore this time this this and this so it's 37 percent or whatever <laughs> yeah. i had a question like that last week yeah. you can't tell yeah you just know over the long run um that you know you, you probably get five percent market growth a year so it's interesting to look back and see how these different as- asset classes have moved around but yeah i just i i find that um the vagaries of the market there's too many things going on mm. that will happen that you cannot predict I believe fine wine is a great way to insulate your wealth when there is economic uncertainty and even more so than gold. Now, that is a very, very controversial statement to make. But if you look over the past 10, 15 years, gold of recent 12 months has done quite well. But before that, it hadn't really done much. Since, since say, 2000 and I don't know what. 13, 14, when, 13, 14. When, when, when things were nor- pretty much normalised yeah. um, or well on the way to normalising, gold came off mm. and just sat there, I don't know, what was it, £800 a troy ounce, something like that, but now we're at sort of 1200 quid, mm. £1,300. Um, yeah. Yeah, so what 
what we look at is over the past 10, 15 years, we see that gold has gained more correlation to financial markets yeah. than what fine wine has. Yeah. Now, yes, we go back to 2008. An the, inverse relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the statement that we like to use of fine wine is inverse to cyclical trend, trends okay. and cyclical trends being traditional remit yeah. investments. So... Yes, back in 2008, the fine wine industry was at 0.1%. But because yeah. the market's so diverse, and when I say so diverse, it's, it's not just one ex, exit strategy. Uh, for instance, you know, I would say, have you been to Hedonism Wines in, no. uh, in Mayfair? No. So you go down there and you look at the per bottle prices compared to you know, what you can yeah. purchase a case for. Yeah. It's, there's a significant difference there. But that's because it's a different market again. Yeah. You know? And then we go to the hotels... Uh, the Mandarin Oriental, the oh, Wardorf, yeah. they're yeah. selling, you know, bottles of wine. Well, I would sit down with my partner and, and you know, like to drink this particular, but I yeah. think, well, I can source that tomorrow, the whole yeah. case for the same price. Yeah. But again, that's because it's a different exit strategy. Whereas with gold, you are restricted to the one strategy when you come to exit that particular, from my point of view. Yeah. And because of that, we have seen fine wine becoming ever well, very, very demanded right now because people like the fact that it hasn't got much financial correlation uh, yeah. or any correlation to the financial markets at all. Yeah. So I know lots of people listening will want to learn about wine and fine wine and how, what to invest in, how to invest. Um, you know, I, I, when I found, found that sort of live X, I mm. found that really interesting. You know, and there's, there's various other sort of websites online which will teach you about this stuff. Um, what's Robert Parker like? Is he, is he good at grading this stuff? I found his website a few years ago. Yeah, so Robert Parker gained, uh, gained a lot of fame back in 1982 when he scored the Lafitte Rochdale 1982 Perfect 100 score. So he went over to Bordeaux, and you can imagine... You know, um, they lubed him they, up. They yeah. were very, very happy. Um, but yeah, he scored 100 points, and it came out, and it you know, was 100 points scoring wines 10, 10 years later. And they still say the Lafitte Rothschild 1982, which is mid-30s now, if my math serves me correctly, has still got another 10, 15 years' worth of drinking life. But coming back to what you were saying, he's now retired. Okay, Neil Martin was his predecessor who has taken over. Uh, Janice Robinson is very creditable uh, wine critic as well. But when we put it into terms, when we select the wine for an investor's portfolio, we run a full qualitative and quantitative analyst on yeah. that particular wine. So we want to understand the full corporate background of that particular. So how is the estate marketing themselves? What is the yield? What's the demand? You know, what hotel chains have got this on their table, etc.? And this all comes inside of how we would build a portfolio. But even before that, we would want to understand, you know, what your appetite towards risk is, your length of hold, etc. So it's not to discredit the scoring system, because, of course, you you want to be purchasing something in excess of, yeah, of 94, course. 95 points. But it's not the holy grail of investing into yeah. fine wine, from my point of view. So wh where else can people sort of learn more? What can they read to 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 a to just become an expert in this area? Yeah, so when I first came into this market, I read a book called Investing into Liquid Assets. Yeah. I've probably read that book three times now. Who's because, that by? 
can't remember the, the I'll have a look now you carry on yeah. yeah and that is a very good book that just yeah. gives you the, the bare basic understandings which uh, is important yeah I, I read one like that yeah. investing in liquid assets yeah yeah investing into liquid assets and basically it just helps you grasp upon yeah the certain understanding of the market do you know what I think I've read that yeah I have by David Sokolin that's is right it, is it that one there yeah yeah do you know what? I've read that as good, well. Good and book. that got me, yeah, and it got me on the left bank and the, you know, the, these um, vineyards are the ones. And this is, that is a great starting place, yeah. I think. You know, that, 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 yeah, that gave me a great understanding. Yeah. 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 So, and again, it, for, from my point of view, and it might be easy to say because, of course, I'm, you know, in the market, but for me, and, and you might be able to back this up. A little bit clearer, but you've got your, your 10, 20, uh, sorry, your 10, 20, 70 in investing. So 70% being your primary investments and 20% yeah. being, you know, your alternative assets, yeah. a bit of this, bit of that with regards to your 10% being in cash. Yeah. Do you agree with that? Um, or is that a yeah, bit aggressive? I, what do I do? So my 70 is obviously property. Yeah. Um, yeah. I probably, mm, yeah, maybe I would, maybe maybe a little bit less in percentage terms. Mm. I'd have on my really risky stuff. Yeah. Um, and I'd probably, at the moment, it moves around. At the moment, I'd be probably a little bit more in cash or about to go more in cash just because of, I don't know, what I need for property or what I need, where I think the market is. But, yeah, I mean, that's, that's good. So w- would you say that your wine investments fit in the 20% as the alternative? Yeah. yeah. Again, that all depends on where you're going with the market because yeah. some investors might be 70% wine because yeah. they understand the ins and the outs of that's it. That's the point. Who are you and what, what do you know and where is your knowledge? And you should invest in the thing exactly that you have the most knowledge in. Yeah, yeah. well, history tends to repeat itself. And you look at you know fine wine, especially the household names over yeah. the past 30, 40 years, they have got consistent returns because of what I just explained to you with yeah. regards to the characteristics that the market has. Yeah, so of course. for that reason, would yes, do your due diligence, but yeah. I mean, the full understanding of the ins and the outs of the yeah. great variety, I think yeah. you're. You, you, you are stepping into territory where you're probably being a little bit overprotected in my point of view. I think if you've got £20,000 in an ISA and, and that's all you've got, okay, don't go and put the, the whole £20,000 in, in fine wine. But if you've got a substantial foundation of investments and you've got £10,000-£15,000 that's sitting in that ISA that's showing you, you know, half a percent, well, that is definitely something whereby you place it in fine wine, you leave it there for five years because this is not a short-term investment. That's very important. But you judge it on an annual basis. You is it isorable if it's in a bond? If, if it's in bonded warehouse, can you hold the... Um, yeah, can you hold the wine within the ISA wrapper? Or? No, because no. it doesn't... It's got to be on an exchange, is it? it yeah, so yeah. obviously you've got your unitive ISA or yeah. stocks and shares ISA, yeah. cash ISA, but with this, we're, we're in the alternative yeah, side. Fine. So. Yeah, you can't do it. Okay, fine. Well, it's been really interesting, Daniel. Um, how do people uh, find more out about you, uh, about what you do, and how do they get in contact? Okay, so I'm on a majority of the social media platforms. Uh, Daniel Gurr, you can find me on Instagram, you can find me on Facebook and LinkedIn. Uh, I represent a company called Elite Fine Wines. We're based in Lower Thames Street in London. So you can have a look at our website. Uh, we have an open door policy and we quite regularly run events actually as well, which is quite important to mention that are uh, non-obligatory. We invite people to come down, 
and now events are wine tastings, you know, you've got clients that have been with us for a significant time that you can ask the questions from a unbiased point of view. Yeah, great. Okay. Well, thank you, Daniel. Thank and, you very um, much. I um, yeah, I'm going to go away. I'll probably read that book again. Actually, mm-hmm. I like that. David Solkin. Yeah. Uh, what was it called again? Investing into liquid assets. Investing into liquid assets. Good. Good book. That has been Mark Homer for Mark My Words. Mm-hmm.